Welcome to the Investor Coaching Show, a podcast to help you get an insider's view of the financial world and escape common investment traps. We look at the financial news of the day and help you make sense of it so you can relax about money. And here's your host, Paul Winkler. And welcome. This is the Investor Coaching Show. Along with Mr. Ira Work, talking money and investing. Man, good to see you. It's great to be seen. Good to be seen. I knew that was coming. <laughs> there you go, right on cue. I was just looking at this one article during the break, and I'm going, you know, we might need to we might hit that. A couple things we'll hit. I'll wait. I'll hold it, though, because I have another thing that I want to hit first. Uh, and I know you got something you want to hit. So oh, I got something I want to hit for sure. We're going to stand in line here. We're going to we're going to hit uh, a few different things. Uh, actually, question that came in. So I thought that this would be a good opportune time to handle a question. By the way, we just updated the website paulwinkler.com as of um, as of uh, last week. And what I did was I took the paulwinkler.com and you go to the content section of the website. And when you go in there, you can actually ask a question right there. So you can go and type in a question for the show. Just for the record, what we do with that stuff is we try our absolute best, unless it's like a really weird question. We'll probably answer it here. (laughs) It's like you're just spoofing. Uh, We'll answer the question and then send you the uh, let you know when it comes up and, and actually send you the segment. So if you got some kind of a question you just want to ask us, I, that's something I've been forgetting about lately, forgetting to put out there, but you can go to paulwinkler.com and you go to the website and then you can ask a question, go to content, ask a mm-hmm. question. It's right there on the front. You can see that. Okay. Uh, so question that came in and uh, Scott asked this question. He says, he says, we have never seen a DOJ be so aggressive toward a former president, and it seems that the current political environment that exists is at a feverish level. What is the threat of political instability, or what threat could it have on markets? I could see the next 2018 to 24 months being very volatile in that regard. And I don't know that there's anything that is new about stability of markets and level of volatility that has always been the case. But people can look at that. And, and here's what's happening is we have a fear of the future. This I'm just going to bring you back to the very, very beginning. You know, like I was saying earlier, uh, you have a fear that people have a fear of the future, want to predict the future. And, you know, first two steps, right, of the investor's dilemma. Right. Mm-hmm. So basically what happens is since we can't predict the future, quite often we will find some way of sticking something in that blank space called the future. And it is typically not something that is you know, just really, you know, happy. We typically stick something in there that's bad, hairy, and, and awful that is going to happen in the future. And we scare ourselves, quite frankly. We actually put ourselves in a level of panic. And then what happens is then, you know, th- whatever passes, something happens. But let me just answer it a little bit more directly rather than just, you know, just go into that. You know, when we look at this, it's very tempting you know, in general, to time markets. It's very tempting to try to figure out where markets are going to go. And, you know, the fact that things are kind of hairy out there, things that are at a feverish level, that there's a political environment that is toxic at best, is not news. I mean, if you look around, we have had toxic for years, Mm -hmm. for a decade. I mean, really, 
you know, a, a decade, at least we've had very, very toxic. And you say, well, it's even worse now that you, you have a, a, an administration that might go after a person that could be a contender for the White House in the next election. So, you know, I can see the point there. But in, let me just ask this one general question. When we look at returns, where do returns come from? Where are returns typically higher for investors? When risk is low or when risk is high? No question. If we're looking at risk, that is a factor that drives returns historically up. And, you know, even if you just look, you know, if, we were, if we're lending money to a person that has one foot in a bankruptcy court, you know, and then all of a sudden we're going to charge them more interest to borrow our money. Stock markets don't ever forget that stock markets are the same exact thing. Stock markets are a place where companies go to use capital and they have to pay more to use your capital if risk is higher. Well, we saw that with the two bankers that came into the office on Tuesday for the meeting. <clears throat> sure. How they talked about they have a product that they keep in-house mm -hmm. for very high credit-worthy uh, borrowers. Right. And then they have their other product, which they sell the mortgage, but then they package it up and turn it off to somebody else because those people who take the mortgage might not be as credit-worthy, might be more risky. Greater so default risk. So they rid of that risk. Yeah, absolutely. And if they if they don't get rid of the risk or whoever does take that risk is going to charge a higher interest rate. So number one, so how do stock markets do this? Well, what they do is they actually come in at lower prices. You know, like if we looked at last year, last year was kind of a rough year for a lot of areas in the market, some areas worse than others. And, uh, you know, as, as I say, large U.S. stocks had the biggest hit. Uh, but if you look at those markets, there are a lot of markets that are selling for very, very low prices. International right now, where there's a lot of turmoil, you got some markets selling for $7, $8 for every dollar of earnings. Well, historically for the S&P 500, that number is about 16. So, you know, if you look at that and go, wow, they're really, really low prices. So, so markets are pricing that in there. Now, another thing to think about is this, and, and I love this, this example just simply because it was something that Gene Fama had actually said in class one day. And he was just talking about risk and return and how they are so related. And he said something that was absolutely brilliant. He was talking about, he goes, hey, look, you know, because we're thinking, hey, you got 100 years of data on the stock market. You got the Depression, you got World War II, you got the Korean War, you got, you know, all these things. And he goes, no, we've got even more, we've got even more data than that. And he said, let me tell you about the Venetian Prestiti, if, we, if you will. And he says they were the first AAA euro bonds, is what he talked about. So in essence, the very, very first government bond was issued in Venice. And what they did is they came out with this bond. They says, you know, you had uh, before the Venetian Prestiti, what happened, you'd have kings and queens and emperors, and they would borrow money to, to fight wars. And what they would do is they would feed their egos and the rulers were unable to pay back the loans. So what they did, they're the rulers. Hey, we're in charge. Here's what we're going to do. We borrowed money. What's the best thing to do if you're in charge and you borrow money? Default. Who's going to come after you? <laughs> I mean, you know, who's going to come after you if, if that happens? So what happens is they had the elite, the wealthy people, and Venice, basically what they did is they said this, hey, what we're going to do is we're going to do something a little bit different. We're going to have democracy for the elites is what they called it. And what they said is we are going to introduce this thing called the Prestidium. In the 12th century, they did this. And they had these subscriptions. They're obligatory. 
In other words, you got to lend us money. If you got money, you got to lend it to us. You have no choice in this matter. If you're a rich person, that's your deal. But at least they were, the rich people were looking at it and go, well, at least we're not getting taxed. At least we'll get our money back. So the rich were kind of okay with the arrangement. You see what I mean? So what ends up happening is they had the very, very first prestige, they issued it at 5%. So they would pay 2.5, you know, and and they would, every six months, they would pay 2.5% to borrow the money. But they did not make these people hang on to this debt. They wouldn't, they were allowed to freely trade it. And what they did is they actually kept, they, they, they had no perpetuities on this stuff. In English, these weren't normal bonds. You know, when you have a bond, normally what happens is it matures in seven years or 10 years or 15 years or 20 years or 30 years. You know, so you'll have the bond will mature at some point and then you get all your money back. But these things were in perpetuity. They never matured. These bonds didn't. So what ended up happening is that because it was literally a supply of money that would come in every six months, what happened is you were buying the right to, re- to actually get that money. And they kept records. It was pretty cool. I mean, Fama's talking about this. It's, this, this fascinated me. You know, Fama's the Nobel Prize winner from 2013. This is the guy that I spent so much time under over a little over 20 years ago. So, so what happens is that you could transfer your rights to receive these payments to others. And that's exactly what they did. Well, as with any bond, what ended up happening, the price of the new bonds were issued. You know, you might have, they might face delays in payment due to principal and interest, you know, during wars and during difficult times. But during peacetime, what would happen is you'd get your money like clockwork. Well, when you got your money like clockwork during peacetime, those bonds actually cost a high level of money. So if you have, if I tell you I'm going to pay you $5 for every $100 that you have given me, that's 5%, right? But if now all of a sudden, now there's lots of risk, I'm not going to pay 100 bucks to, for the right to receive that $5. I might only pay you $50, so now it's I'm getting $5 for $50, which 5 divided by 50 equals 10%. So what happened is exactly that, is during peacetime, it would go back up to 100 bucks, maybe even higher, when it was really, really secure. And then your interest rate was very, very low. So in essence, this is the same thing with the stock market. And this is why I like to use this as an example to help you understand the stock market. When we look at times that are rather challenging and we're worried, stocks will sell for a lower price than they will when times are good. So I would not worry when you look at this and go, oh my goodness, you know, we're going through times of turmoil. In fact, I I was actually looking at, we had sent out a survey a while back. And, you know, Michael had actually set up this survey and he was asking, you know, clients, hey, just want to get your feedback and all this stuff. And I was reading it and I go, oh, I mean, I need to share this with everybody. But one of the clients actually said something like this. And it was, you know what? Thank you, thank you, thank you for holding our hand during the difficult times. And one of the guys that was over there helping me set up my sound system in over in our office studio goes, that's really cool. 
And I said, yeah, it is really cool. I mean, it makes you feel really good. But this is an example of exactly that. This is a client asking me this question, client mm-hmm. of the firm, uh, yep. full, full disclosure. And this is, this is handholding. Okay, right. this, because you know what? Quite frankly, if this were easy, everybody would do it. This is not easy. And you got it. And sometimes what you've got to come and you know, you got to come with something that is kind of arcane like this. I mean, this is kind of weird stuff. The prestiti, whoever heard of that to help coach people through this kind of stuff. And that's basically what we do. And it's uh, what I, what I think is really, really super, super important. You know, so you talk about the S and P 500, you know, you know, it's really interesting right now with the S and P. Uh-huh. Have you seen the, 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 it's, we're exiting the longest bear market since 1948 is what the news was in Market Watch this week. We're exiting the longest bear market for the S&P 500. What, is history, what does history say happens next is what their, their question is. So, you know, I thought, this is interesting, okay? And, and I just thought I'd hit it from a different angle. They said that the S&P is up 20% from its low, you know, this is uh, kind of a switch in topic real quick, from October 12th low. So I thought, I wonder what other market segments are up from, because everybody's saying S&P, 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 S&P. Matter of fact, this, this piece of this advice column in one of the magazines was S&P 500. This is all I have. I have all my money in annuities. <laughs> and, and I have it in an S&P 500 fund. I'm like going, oh my goodness. I'll, we'll hit that in a second because this guy... Nailed it. I don't usually say that. With Market Watch, he nailed his answer. I mean, he got it. He got the right answer. But it was S&P 500. Well, you look at Europe, Australia, Far East, you know what it's up from, from that same date? More than the S&P? Yeah. Yeah, that would be a good guess. <laughs> Very good. 30%. Versus? 30% to 20% of the S&P. Versus how much? Uh, 20 20, 20. 20. So basically 50% higher. 50% higher, 50% more return. Uh, yeah, international small values up about 28% over that same period of time as of when, as of when I am actually saying this right now. Uh, international large values up about almost 30%. There are five asset categories out there that are better than the S&P 500 right now, but all people ever talk about is the S&P, which makes me crazy. But our clients hold those other five. Well, of course. But, you know, but the point is, is that, in, and, it, this is, and that is it. I mean, you look at the S&P and go, yeah, we ought to own it. No, no question. But you were just went through the longest bear market since 1948 mm-hmm. in that asset category. What if you didn't own those other asset categories and you're taking an income? That's a problem. You know, it's just because when you have excess volatility and you're trying to take income and this thing's crashing on you, what are you going to do? You've got no choice. It's the only thing you got to sell. Is that, you know, hopefully you got some bonds, but you know, the reality of it is S&P can go for 10, 20 years for no returns. And we saw it, right, Ira? Yep. I mean, good grief. So anyway. Well, we watched a negative 10-year negative return from 2000 to 2010. Oh yeah, you know, you, you can actually go and pull it out to 12 years. Yeah, mm-hmm. it was even worse than that. Yep. I mean, that, it's just really nasty what can happen. Hey folks, I want to tell you something I'm really excited about. My new book, Confident Financial Planning, is finally out. It's in paperback, hardcover, Kindle version, and I actually have an audiobook version of it. Uh, it talks about building your financial castle. I use that throughout the book, talking about your investments, your financial plan is kind of like a castle. You have your savings and your emergency funds. I talk about that debt, good debt, bad debt. 
We talk about special goal funds and how to set those things up and how to invest for those types of special things that you might want to do in the future. Types of retirement accounts, different types of taxation of investment accounts. Talk about real estate investing and pros and cons of that, how to project retirement assets, and your moat. You know, that's how you protect your castle. It's the risk management aspect of a financial plan. If you want to find out more about that, you go to paulwinkler.com forward slash book to get it. And I uh, hope you enjoy. So you got a... Um... So I got a letter from a client and mm-hmm. uh, not from a client, actually. Well, the client did send it to me, but it was a letter that... Their advisor. Another um, advisor. Another advisor. Because what happened was this, the wife brought the, her other advisor to a meeting. So they and had didn't two different, and, and sometimes that happens where you right. have, you know, husband and wife, and, and sometimes they just don't see eye to eye and they want to have different advisors. Okay, so I'm right. getting you. And yeah. part of the problem with, well, part of the problem with that is stems from the saying, you don't want to put all your eggs in one basket. Right. Okay. So I'm going to call this these and, clients. And, and let me just let me just say that there's a perception out there that when I have more than one different investment advisor account, that I have greater diversification. And the reality is, it would be like, well, there's not a good equivalent for real estate, but you, it would be like I own. Well, there, there, there would be. Let me use this example. It would be like I own Home Depot over here in this account, and I own Home Depot stock over here in this account, and that's diversification. The reality of it is that your stock share, your certificate is really, it doesn't matter who's physically holding it, you own it. So it, it is not diversification. It's like saying, you know, I have three different accounts doing my, accountants doing my my taxes and, and they basically, you know, they all get together and they, you know, they, it's just, you don't really have diversification. Right. You're only going to file one return. But right. anyway. All right. So I'm going to call the- analogy. Uh, so- <laughs> I'm going to call this couple the Smiths, Don and Barbara, uh-huh. primarily because when my clients get together for education, mm-hmm. I don't want people looking at them and no, saying, cool. wow, they're really weird. No, yeah, no, so that's fine. So, dear, dear Barbara and Don, I really enjoy giving Don a hard time about working with Ira. I consider Barbara a Yankees fan like me, Babe Ruth, mm-hmm. and I bet Ira was a Mets fan, Tom Seaver. Now, pitchers are notorious to not be good batters, so... Um, but he was right. I am. I was a Mets fan living in New York. Yeah, sure. Now, Ira and I can serve you best if we work together. Now, that is, I think, the thought that an investor has when they have these different investment advisors. I remember advisors. there was a football player that said that I've got two different investment advisors. They well, what are they doing? They're keeping an eye on each other. Right. No, that's... And they're not. And no, here's... Okay, no. so here's, here's a couple of reasons why we will not work together. Ira works harder. This is in the letter. <laughs> no, no, get out of here. He actually said that to the clients <laughs> in front of me. So I suggest he it could... Sounds like the union. <laughs> you, you can't work harder than me. <laughs> so I suggest that he considers your new bond allocation mm-hmm. with the insurance companies, people, she bought an annuity, mm-hmm. into the total allocation for all your assets. So you said they consider the that as part of the total allocation, which is flawed because when you rebalance a portfolio, you're not going to move between different types of asset types like that. It doesn't work. Right. So there are commissions back and forth, and it really, really is very inefficient, and it's high cost, and it just doesn't work very well. But anyway. Now, yeah. Okay, so the bad advice well, already. There's bad advice right there. Yeah. Now, in addition to that, 
in talking with him, he had one philosophy of investing, uh-huh. which is completely contrary to our philosophy of investing. Right. We're using a very science-based, academic approach to investing. Yeah. 20 different yeah. asset categories in a portfolio. Right. And he's picking and choosing based on track record. Mm-hmm. He said, I will uh, mail you the report. So he picked three funds. Okay. Listen to this allocation. Okay. 5% in a small stock fund. Okay. 30% in a mid-cap index fund. Okay, mid-caps you shouldn't own, period, end of sentence, but because of what's called goalpost effect. Okay, so that, that makes... So what happens, and let me explain that real, real quick. What happens is you're actually reducing your diversification when you do that because you don't... Diversification by... By definition, is that things don't move together, and what happens is you actually increase the correlation when you do that. So it it's again showing automatically that there's a problem. Okay, and too much, too little in small caps because you think small caps. Well, you know, two thousand and one when you had twelve, it was twelve percent in um, in two thousand two thousand and one and nine percent negative return for the S and P five hundred. Small caps went up thirty five percent. Saying you know some areas of the market of small caps, you know some some were a little bit less than that twenty twenty to thirty five percent somewhere in that range based on the size of the companies and, and the price to book. But in essence, what happens is you increased risk if you didn't own small caps. But anyway, keep going. Right. And then the Pimco Total Return Fund. That's oh the bond fund. Is that thing still around? That thing is still around. I remember when that had a negative cash position because they were actually using leverage. Are you kidding me? No. Wow. Okay, 65%. Now, (laughs) that's rare. (laughs) Most people don't look at fees. The fees on, in this this variable annuity that they got, Mm -hmm. uh, the fees on the BlackRock Small Stock Index Fund was Mm 0.58%. The one that we use, not, not BlackRock, 0.39%. percent mm-hmm. So fees are a lot lower outside. Well, but it's the annuity is you got all kinds of additional M&E expenses. So that's, yeah. That's the next sentence. There okay. is also an annual M&E fee of 1.25%. Right. So figure a weighted average annual fee of 2%. Yeah. Now, what's one of the big selling points of annuities? They don't go down. Well, depending if it's a variable annuity. It's a variable annuity, it will. Yeah, it will. So your value on March 23rd, 21, uh, was Uh $598,000. On March 21st of 22, the value dropped $542,000. Over a $55,000 drop. With that much in bonds. Uh, this is their, no. Oh, this is a different This is their old portfolio. So they move stuff around. Okay. Okay. Um, they only lost 9.3%. Okay. Uh, the mid-cap and small-cap were both down 22%. Uh-huh. Now, one of the problems was that the insurance mid-cap company— Mid-cap and small-cap were down that much last year? In their fund. Last year? That's what I said. That's what he wrote them. That's way too much. I'm right. reading, I'm reading okay. their, their right. letter. I believe you. Okay. Um, it goes on— to say that we should basically, the investment makes me the Babe Ruth. For, now, here's the really important thing I, I thought. The investment makes me the Babe Ruth for investing for just one client. So trying Smiths. to hit home runs. 
Me, well, I didn't interpret well, that's, it no, that that's, way. Yeah. That's the way I look at he, it. And, yeah, he, he, was, a home, he was known as the biggest home run hitter, but he's also as the biggest strikeout guy. Right. And he, he had the most how, strikeouts. Okay. Now, he said this right in, in our little meeting that yeah. I got sandbagged with. Yeah. He said, you are the luckiest clients I have, which I interpreted as, well. all of his other clients were unlucky. <laughs> and they were lucky because they were working with you too, right? <laughs> no, they weren't working with oh, okay. me. Oh, no, they said, weren't. Oh, so I this company you. would welcome oh, me. Oh, lucky. Oh, I got you. Yeah. So he said, Iris should move 100% of the bonds in the portfolio I manage uh-huh. into an asset class that will do better. Okay. So, well, yeah, that's it's market timing. Which one is going to do better? Well, what he's actually. I mean, that's more. I mean, think about that. You know, let's do it. What's going to do better? Why wouldn't you move everything and you as the advisor, move everything into what's going to do better if you really know what's going to do better. That's, see, that's, that's again, we're going back to that future prediction right. syndrome. And that's what, he's, that's what he's telling them I have the ability to do. Right. That right, right. I can pick that asset class that will do no, better. No, nobody has that ability. And we tell our people all nobody the time. Nobody has that ability. Okay? Well, it shows the basic problem with the investing industry. And he says, uh, the insurance company would welcome those assets, meaning we could take some out of what we're doing mm-hmm. and move it over to there, let him gamble right. and speculate with that. Mm-hmm. But, and then he says, sums it up with, but we all like Ira more than me and want him to keep working harder than me. <laughs> that is such a weird letter. Yeah, and it is a really weird letter. And it's, I would sum it up by, you know, you know with what Isaac Newton Isaac Newton had this ability to discern the universe (laughs) and the movements of the planet. Yes. But he had no ability to discern the emotions of... The madness of men. Of men, right. Yeah, exactly. And so why anybody would sit with two advisors and one admit, Ira works harder. And when I told them the fees, oh, Ira's fees are lower. Why they would actually move the money. Yeah to this other person. <laughs> and I can and I think the reason why I work harder is because I don't sell 6% commission annuities. Hey, this is Paul Winkler. Hope you enjoyed today's edition of the Investor Coaching Show. You want to learn more about what we do, go to our website, paulwinkler.com. You can watch some of the videos there and if you're not already a client, you can set up a free initial consultation. Until next time, I'm Paul Winkler, reminding you that I believe that more educated investors are more confident investors, and confident investors are more successful investors. Have a great one. Advisory services offered through Paul Winkler, Inc., an SEC-registered investment advisor. The opinions voiced and information provided in this material are for general informational purposes only and not intended to provide specific advice or recommendations for any individual. To determine what investments are appropriate for you, please consult with a financial advisor. Paul Winkler, Inc. does not provide tax or legal advice. Please consult your tax or legal advisor regarding your particular situation.